Welcome to the Las Vegas EDM Podcast. I'm your host, Haiyan. I have a special guest on my couch today. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Jarrell, but I also go by Raverell. That's my DJ name. I went through a couple DJ names before I landed on Raverell. Hag Nasty was one of them. Hag Nasty. Hag Nasty. My last name is Hagler. A lot of people think I'm related oh, I like that. to Marvelous that Marvin Hagler, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I used that as a joke for a while. <laughs> I told people I was, but I actually wasn't. But my that was my dad's nickname growing up, and I kind of just took it and used it as my own. But then I didn't like I wanted to create my own nicknames. I wanted to create my own nickname and my own DJ name. And I landed on Raverell mainly because I Googled it. And I didn't want to create a name that was already taken by somebody. So I did search for a couple names before I landed on Raverell. And Jarrell is a is a unique name. Not a lot of people have it, but people do have it. So at first I wanted to just use Rel, R-E-L-L, straight Rel. But I found out that there was an artist that already claimed that name who did R&B. So I said, okay, let me add Rave Rel into it. And nobody had that. So I felt like I looked out and I kept it. It's a great name. I mean, you state what you do. Depending on how far down you look, you know, when it comes to your business, the business is you. Let's just say you call yourself baby, <laughs> you know, baby rave. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, 10, 15 years later. So it's always good to consider how serious you want to be in the industry. And so when you pick uh, a stage name, you picked it to kind of reflect, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. That makes sense. I mean, I always liked different kinds of EDM music. I first got introduced to EDM early Skrillex when he dropped the Scary Monster Nice Sprites. That was my introduction into it, but that's where it stopped too. I had never pursued it longer than that, but I knew when I heard it at first, I said, okay, this is interesting and it's something I've never heard before. And it wasn't until probably 2019, 2020, where it started becoming into my life again. And I was like, okay, this sound is, it's picking, well, it was also picking up kind of in the mainstream. And I was like, okay, I like this. And Subtronics is from Philadelphia. So I heard a lot of his stuff coming out. I lived about two hours from Philly. So a lot of his stuff kind of got, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, expanded out into the surrounding areas before it took off on SoundCloud or on Spotify. And I was hearing these sounds and I'm like, what is this? And I want to know more about this. And my friend was into EDM. And they started showing me more and more music and I liked it and I wanted to experience that. So I saw the festivals and raves and the first one that came up was Tomorrowland and Amsterdam. And I said, what is this? And I looked into it and I said, okay, first thing I noticed that it wasn't in the US. So I said, what is in the US that I can go to? And EDC was the first one that popped up and I bought my ticket. I said, okay. It's a three-day festival. I have no idea. I didn't know anything about subgenres, any artists other than Skrillex and yeah. Subtronics a little bit. And I said, okay, I'm going to go into this with a completely new, fresh mindset, see what I like, what I don't like. And I was going to go by myself. And then COVID happened. And it completely shut down all those plans. And I had to cancel the ticket, cancel everything. And nobody knew what was going to happen. And then it ended up being when I moved out here that it just kind of was coincidental that I could just go to EDC 
and not have to worry about any of that stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't, I was going to go by myself and I met somebody at my job who was also into EDM and they said, why don't you just come with us in our group? And I was like, okay. And it ended up being a group of 30 people. <laughs> oh shit. 30 people. So it it was a lot. That's that's a bit much. And I don't understand um cuz I've I've never went in a group that large. I think I think it's mainly people spread apart. Oh, so once you get in, yeah. everyone kind of Some people will come together for one set, but it it the the whole fact of the totem is what I was introduced to. Like, look for the totem. If you get lost, look for the totem. And I was like, okay, what is this totem? And every, and that's when I realized that everyone creates their own fancy kind of creation for EDC. And that year, they had created a jewel pod that was the totem. What is it? A, uh, you know, like the, it's like a square, almost oh, like, like your, a vape. Like yeah, a, a vape. vape. But it's like a square vape and it's called a jewel pod. And it, it's very rectangular. And he had it on a five foot pole and it was just sticking up. And they said, if you ever get lost, look for this. You'll find our group. And I was like, okay, I, my first year, I followed, I just followed. Yes. Because I didn't know any of the artists or any of the genres. So I didn't, or the stages. I didn't know anything. Walking into EDC for the first time, and I always tell people this, I sound like a missionary, changed my life. Just walking through that gate, seeing the rainbow of colors, the sounds, I didn't know what to do or experience. And before that, I was very introverted. I was very shy, introverted. My my hometown was very small. Everyone knew each other. You, if you wanted to go to raves, you had to go to Philly. And I had not done that. So going into EDC, I was very, very timid, very shy. And even just thinking about it now just gets me all excited about it. it it was just life changing. I said, "Oh my god!" Like all the the fact that nobody knew who you were, and nobody cared. <laughs> nobody cared. Everyone just did their own thing. Nobody was looking at you. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that yeah. made me that gave me a sense of confidence that I had never felt before. And I was like, "Wow, I can just be myself, and nobody cares." Now, mind you, I've seen some pretty crazy things at EDC, but to the extreme. So. I feel like, okay, after that experience of three days of just pure, and I was introduced to dubstep music first. A lot of the people in my group liked rhythm, dubstep. Not, I wasn't really around any house heads or DMB, so I didn't get introduced to that. And I felt that raging was a stress release. It was almost like my form of therapy, just headbanging and just letting the music flow through you. It was genuinely free. I felt free. I felt alive. I felt that there was nothing. I felt very present minded. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people don't get to feel present minded. You know, they're always worrying about something that happened in the past or something that's going to happen in the future. But I was very grounded. And I said, wow, this is amazing. I said, what is this? I need to know more about this. And God, I would say day one, Day one was probably the best day because that's when you're introduced to it. Yeah. And and Bass Pod was my home. And I was like, wow, what is this? And just hearing all the artists. I remember hearing Excision for the first time and Sullivan King for the first time and Subtronics for the first time. Even though I had heard of his music, I ac actually never seen him live. So seeing him for the first time, 
he was the one that actually got me wanting to produce music and create music, specifically Screamsaver. And I heard Screamsaver for the first time and, and I was like, how can somebody make these sounds and put them together and elicit this type of emotion out of me? And how can I do that to other people? And from there on, day two and three was cool, but day one was the magical day for me and the fireworks too and all that fun stuff. But it was very overwhelming too. Yeah, it can be. And I did all three days completely sober. I did no kind of drugs or anything like that. I just went and and honestly, the the festival itself was a drug because it was bringing out emotions that I had never felt before. And and I, after that, I told myself, I said, okay, this is something that I want to do for the rest of my life. I, I moved out to Vegas to find purpose. And Pennsylvania, people are born there and they die there. And they have zero desire to want to leave town or explore other places, even if it's for vacation. They don't want to go and visit other places. They're just happy in their little bubble. And that's okay. I'm not judging that. But for me, I felt that I was looking for a purpose. And I didn't have one. And after experiencing those three days, I said, okay, this is something that I know I could do for the rest of my life. So from that point on, I started delving into, you know, what, how do they make these sounds first off? What equipment are they using? What, what genres did they listen to to get inspiration? So this is right after EDC 2021. Yes. My first ever rave ever was the October EDC. Yeah, because they pushed it because it, it would have been in July, but they pushed it because of COVID. They didn't know if there was going to be restrictions for having the amount of crowds. So they pushed it to October. And that was a one of a kind experience, too, because they'll never have it in October again. No, it's uh, it, it's actually happened to be at the Sunday was my birthday. Oh, and yeah, that year changed my life. How Things- so for you? Personally, uh, I treat EDC like it's uh, some sort of a retreat for me, like like I came home. Now, when you entered into the uh, festival, did you went through the gates where you walk right in, or did you go through, um, you know, from up on the bleacher and came down? Yeah, we came through the top where Cosmic Meadows is to your left. And but from the bleachers? From the bleachers. That's the best. It's like you walk through that tunnel, then you get to the top of the bleachers, and you're like, I'm home. And so EDC has always been that for me, that it's this place where I come back and recharge. I feel really safe. And this year I went by myself, and I loved it. It is a uh, a festival that it's like, it's more for my mentality. Mm. No, I, I look at it specifically as no matter what is going on in my life, I will probably go to EDC every year until I die. There is there is only maybe a couple things like having a child or or something like that that would force me to not be able to go to EDC. But if I'm able and willing to go, I will go. Because that it's the same way for me. And maybe the first year, it it was like buying a new home. You go in and you see, like, wow, you know, this is 
how how have I never been here before? Right. How have right. I never heard and, of it either? Yes, right. Before that, right? Like what what's going on? And there this year has the most but yeah, the most turnout and at least for ticket sales, right? Friday was the busiest day. Friday. And and this was my third year going. Friday was the busiest I've ever seen it in my life. I've never seen EDC more busy on a Friday than I did this past year. And the weird thing about it was that you would have these weird barriers that you had to get through. So there would be a wall of people and you would think that the crowd came all the way out to there. But if you were able to get through that crowd, all of a sudden there was this massive space of just openness. And I'm like, why aren't people filling up this space? Like, so it makes it seem more packed than it did. And people will, that's the thing about EDC that I like too, is that, you know, sometimes you'll get those people that when you're trying to get through, they'll like give you the the elbow shoulder or you have to just say, sorry. It's a constant, sorry, sorry, excuse me. Sorry, sorry. I hop on the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there's a train coming through, I just politely be like, I hope you don't mind. I need a little help. <laughs> but that's what you have to do. And they always, yeah, they're really lovely and I exit when I exit and the train just keeps going. <laughs> I've met nothing but nice people at EDC. And the first year was actually, it was a fun experience because day three, we went to go see Marada. And that was my first introduction to rhythm and that real clanking metal sounding type of EDM. And that was my first introduction also to mosh pits. And I had never been in a mosh pit. Now, I used to do... Were you caught in a mosh pit then? Or? I went into it by choice. Okay. Well, you're a big guy. How tall are you? I'm about 5'11". Yeah. And I and... weigh about 220. <laughs> yeah, you're solid compared but, to a lot of the ravers. But you know what's crazier <laughs> is that I ran into someone bigger than me. And <laughs> and I'll, t- I'll tell you my first experience in a pit. <laughs> It was a Marada pit and I get in oh there and this guy had a ski mask on and no shirt. And he, he wasn't playing. He was insanely jacked. Just just picture seeing like Rambo with a ski mask on. And he's in front of me and he's like giving me the arms, like, come at me. Come right? at me. So and I'm telling my friends, I'm like, what do I do? And they're like, just push people. Like it's all just a pushing fest. I'm like, okay. So the guy comes running up to me on the drop and I kid you not, I, he, he grabbed me almost like a football stance under my shoulders, launched me into the air. I lost both my shoes. Both my shoes went flying into different directions. I lost my glasses. My glasses went flying, right? I, I landed on the ground and immediately started getting trampled on. Now, they're usually pretty good about stopping the pit when you're getting trampled, but there was probably about 30 seconds of just me on the ground and just people stomping on me, legs, face. I'm on the ground like, ah, screaming, screaming, stop, 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 ah, I'm getting demolished. And eventually they stopped and got me up and I couldn't see. So someone found my glasses and they gave them to me and one of my lenses were was twisted. So that, that moment I said, okay, next time bring a glasses case, learn my lesson there. I saw two separate people holding up both of my shoes. So I had to go and grab both of my shoes and I said, okay, that was a learning experience. Let's go back in. Let's go back in. Apparently I'm a glutton for punishment. So (laughs) I did. I wanted, I wanted a little bit of like revenge. 
So I found him, right? I found him. And I said, now I was the one that did this. I said, bring it on. I'm ready now. And, and lo and behold, he comes running in on the drop. We smash each other. I go flying again, again. But this time I go flying out of the pit into people. Oh no. I can't move my right arm. My right arm is completely numb. And I, and I said, did I just dislocate my shoulder or my arm? And this is where the bad judgment came in. There was a 50-50 chance. I look at somebody in the crowd and I said, can you pull my arm back into place? Right? Not having any idea of if it would work or not. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't move it. And they grab it. And I was like, all right, three, two, one, pull. The most excruciating pain I've ever felt in my life. Right? But it worked. (laughs) I said, okay, I can feel my arm again. I can move. I said, thank you. And And I don't go back in the crowd. There was these two angels, and they were like rave moms, and they say, sweetie, they come up to me so nice and gentle, like, sweetie, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I'm kind of raging, and I can't feel my arm. And they're like, come sit down with us. And they take me, and they weren't even a part of our group. They were just two random women who were just, they were rave moms, and they were the nicest women. And if, if I ever, you know, if you're, they're listening to this story, and they remember this scenario, I would love to just thank them again. And they took me over to base pod on the side of it where they have those grass mounds and they sat me down and kind of cooled me down a little bit. And then eventually I went back and I didn't go into a pit again, but I went back into that area. And it wasn't until the next day because originally I, I didn't have enough PTO to take the whole week off for EDC. So I had to trade days with people and my, my shift is 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. So I had to work Thursday into Friday. 3 a.m. to 11 a.m. I got out of work Friday morning at 11, got ready for EDC, went in, had all three nights off, had to go back in Monday night into Tuesday morning for a shift. And by the end of the shift, I couldn't move my right arm. It was completely numb again. And I had to go to a Med Express after. And they told me and they said, hey, your right shoulder is completely inflamed. Like you can't, there's nothing you can do other than take medicine and take a couple days off. And they asked me, what'd you do? And I said, I felt like I dislocated my shoulder and someone else had to pull it back in place. And they said, you got very lucky because had it been any other way, and if it was any other way, I would have went to the med tent and had them look at me, which luckily it didn't. But that was my first experience into rhythm and a mosh pit at EDC. And I've learned my lesson and I'm not a big mosher anymore. Like I... (laughs) I got that out of my system. You go into the pit knowing you have to know things will happen. That's going to be out of your control. And um, you might like it, you know, you might not, but at least you tried, right? It was definitely a form of, of release for people. And I found that out the hard way. I said, okay, some people like to dance their stress away. Some people like to shove each other into oblivion. <laughs> And it's different from like a metal mosh pit because metal mosh pits, people are throwing punches and bows and kicks and they're trying to like hurt you in a sense. Whereas I found that in EDM mosh pits, as long as there's somebody that's not too drunk around, everyone's just pushing. It's a big just shove contest. And and you find out that some people can shove a lot harder than others. And I'm learning to to work out more. But in that moment, I was very weak. Yeah. So even though I'm big... I'm weak and I didn't have the strength to push people back the way they were pushing me. 
and I felt like certain muscles were kind of tearing or, um, you know, I was getting sore very quick. Like my lower back got shot. It was definitely a learning experience. One that was fun, but I got it out of my system over, over the course of, of those three days, trying to be in the front, trying to be in crowds like that. I like to, I like to, um, headbang. And I found that being in the front where everyone is squished together, I have to put my hand in front of my head so I'm not headbutting somebody. And I give myself my own, I give myself my own little cube where I can headbang in that. And I know that nobody is going to bother me in that area. But nowadays I, I'm a middle to back kind of person where I can space out and dance and have fun. I think a lot starts off uh, up at the rails and then few years in you see them behind that and then they make their way all the way if you last like 20 years in uh, you tend to be out in the skirt you know of the crowd and that's where i am yeah i'm not even center skirt i'm i'm like either left or right but i prefer left skirt when I encounter mosh pits, um, I've never been in one. I don't ever want to be in at all, ever. Uh, but typically, especially I've seen it at EDC, is that people all around protects everyone. That is true. So there's a lot of people that will just push, like, kind of like nudge you out and be like, oh, they're going to start this. And so, and someone would always, people would always come and just form this barrier. And they're like, I'm that person that's going to protect the crowd. And it's such a beautiful situation and scenario that I've encountered many times. I tell you, 90% of the time I find out a pit has formed is because somebody launches into the back of me and I go <laughs> flying into three or four people oh, and I just tell everyone in front of me, I'm so sorry. Yeah. You know, I just got launched. And then that's how, and I usually end up being that person that you're talking about that holds the line for people behind me because nobody likes getting thrown people thrown into them so i find that if i turn around and i'm still raging and i'm able to push people away and keep the people that i'm with safe that ends up being a more rewarding feeling than being in the pit and essentially just pushing people around both have their both have their pros and cons but nowadays yeah that is not for me and over time i have become a lot more um, passive when it comes to raves. In the first year, I never had ear protection. I didn't know that that was a thing. So being in the front and having the speakers in my, f- I was pretty much deaf for a couple days. The ringing, the, the ringing, yeah. yeah, all that stuff. And I said, okay, I need to get headphones. And I looked into, and I and I realized that they make earplugs specifically for raving and that's when i found out about eargasm in there and i that's eargasm yeah that's the brand is eargasm and they they make it head um earplugs where there's a circle in the center and it lowers the sound about 10 decibels so i can still hear people talking and i can hear the music clearly it's just not pounding into your ears and it makes you listen to the music safely because that's what i want to do i want to feel the bass in my feet but not have it deafen me and it definitely was a game changer when I got those earplugs. But nowadays, I'm I'm very cautious about... And I also used to go very heavy. I would bring a lot of stuff with me, the glowing glasses, the backpacks, <laughs> the hats. Day one, I found out that's not viable for me. Because then I just want to put everything away. 
because it feels very cumbersome. So now I go to shows as light as possible. I will take my ID and my phone, and usually I'll wear po- uh, pants that have zippers in the pockets so that people don't try and pickpocket me because that happened at Kazo. Someone tried to pickpocket me. I felt my phone moving and I reached my hand back and I grabbed somebody's fingers on my zipper and I turn around and everyone's like, oh, you should have hit him. I said, no, I just screamed pickpocketer. I was screaming it as loud as possible. And he ran off scared because I heard people were getting kicked out for fighting people that were trying to pickpocket them. And it's a lose-lose situation. I want to be there for the show. But now I'm definitely cautious about these things, about pickpocketers, about people trying to prey on people who are under the influence, which is kind of crazy because, you know, you go to these raves and festivals to really have fun and escape. And there are certain crowds that'll come in and try and take advantage of that. And I don't like that. So that is something I noticed. But after year one, I said, okay, how do I get into this? And I looked into it, but I never acted on it. It wasn't until year two EDC. So last year. Not this most recent year, but last year is when I said, okay, now I went in with that mindset of this isn't my first rodeo. I kind of know what I'm doing now. Let me experience more of what EDC has to offer. I did the rides, I some of the rides. I did different stages. I found out about drum and bass, which was amazing. That's when I was introduced to Dimension and that melodic drum and bass kind of sound. And I said, okay, this is definitely what I want to do for the rest of my life. How do I go about doing it? And from last year's EDC until this past EDC, I had gone to about 90 shows. Wow. 90 shows. Here? Here here in Nevada? Yeah. And I found out about all the local shows. And that's where I was introduced to that aspect. I said, okay, there's a lot of promoters putting on shows outside of EDC. I said, where can I get that fix? I almost looked at it as where can I get that EDC fix constantly? And Mm -hmm. once I found the promoters on Instagram who were putting on shows, then I said, okay, there is a scene here and I want to look into that scene. So I started Hard Rock Live, Downtown Event Center, We All Scream, Disco Pussy, all these places who were constantly putting on shows. I said, I want to get involved in that. So that's when I started going to these local shows. And the way my work schedule worked is that I was able to do these shows and then just go into work. So I definitely was putting a lot of strain on my body because I said, okay, as long as I go to sleep at a certain time, I can go and see these shows and then just go right into work. And I was doing that for a whole year. And it was up until this past EDC where I said, okay, I felt like I put the legwork in. Like I did a lot of networking. And what I didn't realize is that local shows have local performances, like local artists play for the the headliner that comes in. So there became a point where I would go to a show and I would see the same DJs and hear the same sets. And the only time I was hearing something new was the one or two people that were actually headlining the show. And that's when I knew I was reaching my, my topping point of, okay, I've got this out of my system. I've seen enough of this. Now I feel like I want to put in the legwork and produce my own sound and try and get my name out there. And listening to all the different genres, I really cling towards dubstep, melodic bass, color bass, ace aura. I love that sound. It, it's it, it's so hard to describe, but that kind of 
sound really struck me and multi-genre. So I'm the kind of person where like Hades is one of my top favorite DJs right now because she incorporates metal and that hard rock style into her EDM. And that blend is something that I would like to do too. I noticed that there's not a lot of artists that make melodic bass and dubstep together. It's always melodic bass. And then the buildup is almost into a, a very airy kind of happy drop, but there, and there's never that airy happiness into just rage. And I feel like that's where I would excel the most in and where I kind of want to bring my sound in. But learning the DAW for me has been probably the biggest hurdle that I've had because I hear all the sounds in my head and trying to learn a software to get them out is very daunting because I've never been good at learning. Which one do you use? Um, Ableton. Well, at first I used Fruity Loops. Fruity Loops. Yeah, FL Studio. Mm. And that was... (laughs) That, it's called, I know, it is a funny name. It, it is really called Fruity Loops? Yeah. Or you made that? No, up. FO Studio, it's full. It stands for Fruity Loops. Yeah, Fruity Loops Studio. And that was the first one I was introduced to. And it was very, it was a very clean setup. I liked the way that the piano roll looked. I liked the way that certain um, ways that it, it was very user-friendly for beginners. and. I slowly realized that that DAW is mainly used for hip hop and rap, albeit any DAW could be used for any kind of music. But a lot of people that use Fruity Loops don't use it for EDM. And I found when I was trying to take classes and learn that everyone was using Ableton. And I had no idea what Ableton was. I said, what is Ableton? So I look into that and I said, okay, it's a completely different experience from FL Studio, but it's the one that everyone uses. Now, do you use like an analog um, equipment with that, like a keyboard? I want to buy a MIDI keyboard, but for now, no. I use um, music theory and how they structure the chords, the piano roll that comes with the DAW. But I would love to connect a MIDI keyboard to it and get that more authentic music creating experience. That is actually something if you really want fast pass to actually producing music is to go get one and you can typically get one for like 40 50 at a pawn shop just make sure you google it to see if it um can be used with ableton we live in vegas so many musicians so many uh equipments in the pawn shop daily i never thought about that looking in a pawn shop oh yeah look at this equipment i have right here Pawn shop, my camera. I highly recommend that, especially when you like starting out. You don't want to overly invest in equipments you may not even use much. Buy from a pawn shop. That was the that was the biggest thing is realizing all of the what's the word I'm looking for the plugins and the VSTs. And I said, okay, so people are using these plugins and VSTs to create their sounds. And Omnisphere, for example, I. I saw a bunch of people using that and I went and looked up how much Omnisphere costs and it's $600, like five, $600. And I was, I was like, whoa, okay. I don't want to make the mistake of buying a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not going to be able, that's like, that's like working out and buying a whole bunch of supplements before you really need them. 
You know, you right. just need to work out first. And I just need to learn the da and learn how to make music. Because I've always been, I've always had a musical ear. Even when I was younger, I was in band and I played guitar. I played guitar probably for 10, 15 years. And there was a small stint when I played uh, saxophone. When you share that, yes, you need to go get, you know, an analog keyboard right now. If you play a musical instrument growing up, the reason why you're not actually producing at the level that you should be. And then monitoring uh, headphones. If you're buying typical headphones and not monitoring ones, you're going to hear the difference in the, the each and every notes and the structure of your song. You need to invest in that. And that's not expensive. These are advice uh, that I've gotten from actual people who won Grammys. And people pay them to master and mix their songs. That's the first thing that you should also get and get go get the keyboard. Ones that like so the headphones that plug into something like that. Yes. Yeah. And it I use the Audio Technica. It's eighty nine dollars. I will admit, uh, the current headphones I use are my. Uh, they are the PlayStation headphones that I got from and and it's it's all the uh aux just the aux plug a lot of times people uh they don't share these information because it's very simple when you get the right equipment especially if you're producing music we make music you know besides sounds through our mouth right what else our hands our fingers don't click on a mouse and think you're creating something. We were taught with our fingers and hands, the minute that you can get that, you've covered so much already. I'm at that point too where I felt like after this most recent EDC, I said, okay, now I see that I just want to create music. And I almost got that raving out of my system. Albeit it's never out of my system fully, but the amount I was doing, going to two, three shows a week, it makes you realize, okay, none of these artists are one going to two, three shows a week. They're not. The, there's a def definite separation of raver and content creator, music creator, musician, artist, all that stuff. And I felt like I had to mentally make that shift from, okay, I'm going to shows because I'm having fun to now I'm going to shows and almost hawking the DJ, seeing what they're doing, seeing how they're working the CDJs and the board, if I'm able to even get a top-down view of it, or what kind of music they're creating or how they're mixing their, their sets together, set creation, stuff like that. And I felt like I was trying to jump five steps ahead. I felt like I was really trying to run a marathon before I even knew how to crawl. <laughs> so now I'm trying to restructure my brain into thinking, okay, one, comparison is the killer of joy. I can't be looking at people that are younger than me and way more successful and say, okay, why am I not there yet? When a lot of people use social media as highlights rather than seeing what has gone on yet in the behind the scenes, you know, I don't know what they did to get to that point. I just know that they're at that point now. So that's one for me is to not compare myself to other DJs, whether it be local or world famous. And two is not listening to so much music whereas 
it influences my own sound because in my head I hear the sounds I want to make and I tell myself, okay, I can't get to a point where I'm just copying and pasting other DJs. Like, and they always say, you know, be innovative, create your own sound, this and that, but it's almost like you're learning from sounds to make your own sound. And there has to be that point where you need to know the software good enough to create what you hear in your head out onto paper, essentially. Yeah, you know the saying, good artists copy, great artists steal. And so to get good, you do have to copy. At first, how else would you learn? Think about copying to learn. And then when you can steal it, is to make it your own. There's a website called uh, Masterclass, I think, Masterclasses or class.com. There's free trial versions, and I believe Dead Mouse and maybe Above and Beyond, how to produce music and how they do it. Well, I found out the hard way that DJing isn't just DJing. It's producing, engineering, mixing, mastering, learning how to DJ on top of it. It's not just one thing. So when I first started, I was trying to produce music and learn how to DJ at the same time. And it felt very overwhelming. And I appreciate you being on today. Um, Love your stories. It's very motivating. Uh, It gives people that, that are going through something similar to have someone share it, you know, just all the ideas and all the thoughts and how things came about in your brand. So last question of the day, share a fan encounter or gift you received that touched or made you smile. I tell you, I threw my first ever ray for myself for my birthday because I wanted to essentially prove to myself and other people that this is something that I could do. So I created a show called Gemini Man because my birthday is June 1st and it was planned within two months. I thought about it in April and by June 1st I was performing and I was able to bring in about 40 to 50 people on a Friday. And that's tough to do in Vegas because that's very hard. You did amazing. I'm competing with a lot of people. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I felt like, okay, I brought in a good crowd. I found a good venue. I had the lights, the setup, everything. I had three other DJs perform hour-long sets, and then I headlined it. And the the best gift that someone gave me was a candy, a bracelet with my name on it, Rave Rel. And And it was purple and green, which is my color scheme. And I wasn't expecting it. And I And I never even thought of seeing something with my name on it like that before, other than and they gave it to me and I almost teared up. I was like, I, you know, I, I will, I will save it forever. That will, that will go on my wall when, when I make music and I make it big. And the, the first thing that will go on my wall are those small things that people gave me. Cause it really, one told me that someone believes in me enough to make something for me and they thought about it enough. And it just, it touched my heart. Cause you know, I was like, okay, like, thank you. Just thank you. You know? Yeah, it it definitely made me feel good, and just just the the, the ability to pull a crowd and ma- and play music for them and have them rage out to something that I created, it was a feeling that I've never felt before, and it's one that I want to feel again. And I'm at that point now where I'm ready to 
to really hunker down and create and just kind of get a tunnel vision on what I want out of my career and my life. So it's like, that's your first like sign of like what you're doing is worth it and matters and affects people that they're willing to spend that time to make that bracelet for you. Yeah, keep up the good job. Thank you. I appreciate you and the opportunity to bring me on this podcast. It it really, the, the fact that there are people out there like you that really speak for the local community in a way that I really haven't seen represented out here is, is refreshing and it's appreciated. Thanks again for coming out today. Yeah, thank you for inviting and having me.